0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Jonah 1 The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights the word of the Lord.
1: Okay. Jonah one, who likes the book of Jonah? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Anyone here dislike the book of Jonah? You're like, ah, oh, so if so, that's okay. Um, Jonah of course is a book that many of us probably heard as kids. It has a whale. It has this great miracle story. So it's a story that's often told in Sunday school. Um, And maybe you haven't gone back and read it since then. And if that's the case, the book of Jonah might actually be pretty different than you remember. So yeah, if you have only ever got the Sunday school version of it, this might be the version of Jonah that you got. Jonah runs away from God. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale and repents. Jonah does what God wants and all of Nineveh gets saved. Yeah. It's awesome, right? It's like, yeah, like Jonah learned his lesson. He turned around and everything worked out great. It's a great evangelical message, right? Of like, get over your fear and do what God wants and everybody will get saved. That's not actually what happens in the book. This is closer to the outline of the book of Jonah. First of all, Jonah runs away from God. We got that part right. And in that running away, a bunch of pagan sailors convert. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. Jonah fake repents and a whale barfs about. Jonah mails in his calling, but all of Nineveh repents, even the cows. That's true, that actually happens. You can see that in end. And the book ends with Jonah getting super mad at a plant. So this is actually the closing image we get on the book of Jonah. That's Jonah over there. It's not actually this happy ending. It's this book of this disgruntled prophet who's being rebuked by God. And that's what we learn from the book of Jonah. But a lot of what we have to come to understand about that is understanding what it is that Jonah is actually being asked to do. When Jonah uh, gets started, it starts out like this. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. What do we know about the city of Nineveh? Anyone? Anybody know what Nineveh was the capital of? Assyria, right. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And from 700 to 600 BC, it was the most powerful city in the world. That's the Assyrian Empire. Um, And you can see Nineveh right in the middle there. Um, So yeah, at at one point, it would have been, you know, the center of this giant empire. What do we know about Assyrians? Anyone? Yeah, absolutely. The Assyrians were a war machine. They were the ultimate kind of uh, ancient military power. They kind of militarized their society in a way that nobody had ever done before. If you ever see reliefs, they always look like this. They always love these curly long beards for some reason. You can always tell Assyrians because they have those beards. Um, And they're usually killing people in the pictures that you see. In fact, the Assyrians were known for their cruelty This is kind of how they ruled. They were an empire that didn't rule by grace. They were an empire that ruled by terror. Um, When cities rebelled against them, they would go in, slaughter the population, burn the city to the ground, and deport people. And then they would advertise it. And of course, in the day when you didn't have YouTube, you had to actually like carve these things into stone. So you can find all these things like this.
0: From the annals of Ashurbanipal. I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over the pile of corpses. Some I spread out within the pile. Some I erected on stakes upon the pile. I flayed many right through my land and draped their skins over the walls.
1: It's fun stuff, right?
0: So you can imagine, like these things are in
1: stone. You don't just like write it down. It's not just like a quick Twitter post. Like they were into this stuff. In order to carve these things in stone, you have to kind of be into wanting everybody to know that you are to be feared. So what you have to know about Ninevites is they are not good dudes. They were well known for their brutality. If you read the book of Nahum, I know it's everybody's favorite book. If you read the book of Nahum, It's a prophecy against Assyria, and it says, "All who hear the news about you, Assyria, clap their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty?"
2: As for the relationship with Israel,
1: in 722 BC, they did campaign against Israel. They did carry out one of these terror campaigns, and they destroyed the city of Samaria, the capital of the northern uh, nation of Israel, and killed everyone, and deported everyone else. So this is where the 10 missing tribes of Israel go. They get deported into Assyria, in some cases never to come back. In 701 BC, they campaign against Judah, destroying most of the cities in Judah and make it all the way to Jerusalem, where they surround the city of Jerusalem. And there's this famous scene in 2 Kings where the lead general for the Assyrians, he he, uh, sits outside Jerusalem and he says, do not listen to Hezekiah the king, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his
2: land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So are the Ninevites in good standing with God? Nope. In the Israelite imagination, the
1: Assyrians stand in for the opponents of God, they stand in for the people that are most cruel
2: the people who mock God. So when Jonah is being asked to preach to Nineveh, imagine what he's
1: being asked to do.
2: What Jonah is being
1: asked to do is the equivalent of a Polish Jew being asked to
2: preach in Berlin at the height of Nazi Germany. As Americans, we have trouble finding ourselves
1: in this story, actually, because we, we kind of have to imagine living in like a small nation. And watching a military power come in and
2: decimate your cities and humiliate your people and mock your God and then being told to go preach to them. So there's no doubt Jonah is given a difficult calling, but what's fascinating about the book
1: of Jonah is why Jonah doesn't want to go. And it's not because he doesn't like Nineveh, right? Sometimes we kind of treat it like oh he just, you know, you wanted to go to New York City, but God called you to Pittsburgh. And you know, it's like, oh, well, no, I guess you got to go to Pittsburgh. It's like, no, that's not really what's going on here. And it's not even that he's scared of them, right? He is going into this foreign capital of this great military power. And it's not that he's scared. We don't actually get the answer to Jonah 4. but what we find out in chapter four is that the reason Jonah doesn't want to go is because more than anything, he wants to see justice come. He wants to see Nineveh destroyed. He wants to see Nineveh pay for their sins.
0: And he knows that if
1: he goes and preaches to them and they repent, God will relent and bring destruction on them. And Jonah can't handle that.
2: Jonah doesn't want to see his enemies get redeemed, right? He wants to see his enemies get destroyed. He can't handle that God is a God of mercy. And this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about justice, right? Eventually
1: Nineveh will get destroyed. Eventually their sins will catch up to them and they will fall. But if nothing else, the book of Jonah teaches us that God's greatest longing is to redeem sinners rather than to destroy them. Let me repeat that. The book of Jonah teaches us that God's greatest longing is to redeem sinners
2: rather than destroy them, which is good news, except when we have to apply it to our enemies. Because we want to see those guys get what is coming to them, right?
1: But this is the calling of the book of Jonah that, like God, we also are to have that heart that our greatest longing should be that our enemies get redeemed rather than destroyed. Jesus' great calling to love our enemies is not actually to ignore sin, but to long for our enemies to be brought out of their sins rather than to be brought down in them.
2: So how are we doing compared to Jonah? Would you rather see your enemies redeemed or defeated? Would you go to Nineveh if it meant your enemies would be saved? Jonah is a warning. It's a warning to be careful when rooting a little too strongly for God's wrath to come.
1: Because if we're not careful, God will apply that same standard
2: to us. And as we see, Jonah is really freaking lucky that God maintains mercy for him. God is a God of justice and eventually God lets sinners walk themselves into hell,
1: but God gives them every opportunity to turn back to heaven first.
2: And we should be stinking grateful for that because that same mercy is how God treats us. Amen. So that's kind of the the large overview of of Jonah.
1: I want to go back through and look at Jonah one, a little bit of what's going on in this chapter. Um, so let's, let's talk for a minute about Jonah 1. Again, it starts off with these words. Um, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But what does Jonah do instead? Whew. Other way, right? Yep, Jonah uh, gets this calling to go to Nineveh and he flees to the city of Tarshish. So as you can see, not only is Tarshish the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, it's as far away as you can get. Right? I mean, like, to an ancient Israelite, we're really talking the ends of the That map actually really makes it look like it's down on the Gibraltar there. It's actually on the Atlantic Ocean. So you can imagine in the Israelite imagination what it looks like to look at the Atlantic Ocean and be like, that's,
2: you can't, you can't
1: go farther, right? He's trying to get away from God. But what happens after he gets on the boat? The Lord sends the great wind and a violent storm, and the sailors are afraid, and they cry out to their gods, and they throw the cargo overboard, and finally they wake up Jonah and say, get up and call on your God. And does Jonah cry out to God? Nope. So they cast lots to see who's responsible for the storm, and it falls to Jonah, and they say, who are you? Jonah replies, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And after having made this wonderful, perfect profession of faith, does Jonah cry out to God? Nope. Does he change anything about himself? Nope. Does he humble himself and
2: repent? Nope. He says, throw me overboard. And the men, they don't want to do that, right? They don't want to
1: kill this person. So they try to row back to land, but realizing they're all going to die, they beg for God's forgiveness and throw Jonah into the sea. And after this encounter with the living God, what do they do? At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him.
2: They meet the living God, and they are changed. So the question is, who in our story is right before God? Jonah's a good Hebrew, right?
1: He is an orthodox believer. He's an upstanding member of the local synagogue. He says all the right things about God. His theology is spot on. And we'll see in chapter two, he knows his Bible. He can bust out a prayer of thanksgiving. He knows his Psalms. He's ready to go and in the belly of the whale. But when confronted with the living God, he's unwilling to be changed. In fact, he would rather die than be changed by God. The pagan sailors, on the other hand, right, they belong to the wrong ethnicity. They probably don't know the first thing about Abraham or Moses. They're uncircumcised. They eat with dirty hands. They definitely don't belong to the local synagogue. But when confronted with the living God, they fall down and worship. They submit to God and they worship God. And like the Ninevites later, they are
2: willing to be changed. They are redeemed by God. So Jonah should read as a warning to religious folks.
1: First of all, it says maybe maybe be a little less cocky toward your pagan neighbors.
2: They might dress the
1: wrong way and say the wrong things, but they might actually be closer to God than you are. And I'm not actually like a universalist. I think our faith actually matters. But Jonah reminds us that God loves everyone. And sometimes those pagans actually love God back more than we do. Sometimes they're more willing to be changed by God than we are.
2: So some humility is an
1: order If nothing else. We don't own God. It's one of the big things that Jonah teaches that to the ancient Israelites, they don't own God. God is at work outside the boundaries of where God's supposed to work. And that's still true today.
2: And secondly, Jonah reminds
1: us that you can say all the right words and have all the right beliefs and belong to all the right groups, but if your heart is not open to God,
2: it doesn't add up to much. So Jonah says that he fears the Lord, but the sailors actually do. And so it begs that question of us which one are we? Do we fear the Lord? Are we willing to be changed by God? Or would we
1: rather be thrown into the sea than let God change our lives? Jonah knows all the right answers, but the sailors fear God
2: and one of them walks away redeemed. So which one do you want to be? Now, one of the things that's cool about the book of Jonah is it's actually
1: a really fun book. It's actually a funny book. It uses a ton of uh, exaggeration and humor and satire and wordplay. If you ever get a chance to take Hebrew, I know we're all dying to sign up to learn biblical Hebrew, but if you ever do, the first book I would recommend translating is Jonah because you find some really fun things. And my favorite instance of this actually happens in chapter one. It's hard to pick up in English, but it has to do with words up and down. There's this pattern that goes on. It starts off, we've seen chapter one, uh, or verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And it literally says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. But what does Jonah do? Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then it says that after he goes down to Joppa, he goes down onto the boat. And after he goes onto the boat, it says he went down into the ship. And after he's there, there, the storm comes and the pagan sailors come. And what do they say to him? Get up. Wake up, dude. Get up and call on your God. But Jonah says, throw me down into the sea. And Jonah goes down into the sea. And then he goes down into the depths. And as we say in chapter two, he goes down into
2: death, into Sheol, into the grave. We get to watch Jonah's slow motion
1: descent into hell as he tries to flee from the presence of God. Jonah tries to flee God, right? He tries to do it his own way. And he doesn't find freedom or joy or comfort.
2: He finds death. He ends up in hell. I know I have ways I'm holding out on God,
1: right? Ways that I want to do it my own way. Ways that I'm like Jonah, you know, nope,
2: not going to Nineveh. But I think as I sat with this passage this week, it really challenged me to think, what am I gaining by that?
1: Am I truly gaining life?
2: And the places I am holding out on God and the places I am unwilling to be changed, how's that that working out for me? Jonah's a reminder that our rebellions against God don't actually
1: lead us into life. They lead us into death. They lead us into the grave.
2: I know I have people I should forgive, but I don't want to. I know I have ways I should give my money away, but I like my money.
1: I know I have ways I should be kinder in marriage, but I'd rather be right.
2: I know I have ways that God wants to conform me to Christ, but it involves letting go. And so I hold out.
1: But What am I gaining in this? What are we gaining in our rebellions, right? What are we gaining
2: in the ways that we are unwilling to be changed by God? Is it actual freedom or is it death? Now, the reality is we rarely feel that death the
1: second we walk into sin, right? It takes Jonah all these steps to get down into the depths. He doesn't just dive into the bottom sea right away. He goes to Joker, and down to the boat, and down to the hole, and down to the sea, and down to the depths, then down and down into death. And if you're only at like the Jopa stage, right? Maybe you're on the boat. Sometimes it feels pretty good. Sometimes you're there, you're Jonah, and you're like, "Yeah, man, I finally got rid of that nasty prophetic calling. I can finally go do what I want. This is amazing."
2: But it's kind of this this chapter is kind of a reminder of like look ahead and see where that path leads. You might only be at the Jopa stage,
1: but look ahead, realize where you're headed, realize where this path goes.
2: Moving away from God doesn't actually lead us to life, it leads us into death. So think about all the
1: ways you're being Jonah, that you're rebellion, that you're rebellious from God the places you're holding back from God, the places you're unwilling to be changed, and ask yourself, what are you gaining in that rebellion? What game do I think I'm winning by holding out against God? Am I really finding life, or am I on
2: the path to death, headed down to the bottom of the sea?
1: Our sins might feel good for a season, right? They might feel like freedom. But true freedom in life comes actually when we surrender to God. And let God do his thing in us and change us and conform us to Christ and make us new. When we finally submit to the love of God
2: and let it change us in ways that we can never change ourselves. This is when we find freedom in life. And Here's the good news of Jonah 1. When you think about those things, when you think about the ways that
1: you are in rebellion from God, the things you are hiding from God, maybe you're hiding them from everyone else as well. God already knows. This is kind of the banner headline of Jonah one, right? God is everywhere. God is in Jerusalem. God is in Nineveh. God is on the ship. God is in the depths. So wherever you are in your life, God already knows so much of what we call prayer right is trying to tell god what we think god wants to hear trying to be good religious people like
2: jonah but if you're struggling in your sexuality guess what god already knows if you hate your parents or resent one of your friends guess what god already knows If you're mad at God and not sure God exists or cares, God already knows. God already knows what's going on in your life and trying to keep those things from
1: God is actually like the internal equivalent of fleeing to Tarshish, right? It's saying that there are spaces that do not belong to God, spaces that you can keep hidden from God, but God is already there. So get honest with God and talk to God about the things going on. Talk to God about your sexuality. Talk to God about your pain or your anger. Talk to God about your doubts and go in with open hands. And if you're willing, God will meet you there and make you new. The reason we keep secrets, right, is because we're afraid of the cost. We're afraid that if they came out, we'd lose something. We'd be kicked out. We'd be punished. There would be too high a price to pay. We we're afraid of being contempt, afraid of being shamed, afraid of being kicked out. And here's the good news of both Jonah and the
2: gospel. That God loves you. Like really loves you. Exactly where you are right now. You are safe with God. There's nothing you could say to God that'll get you kicked out. as we learned from Jonah taught, God doesn't actually want to condemn you, right? God wants to
1: redeem you. God doesn't want to destroy Nineveh. He wants to bring them home. And if God has room for Ninevites to come home, then God can handle you.
2: And if God can make room for the pagan sailors, God can handle you. In fact that seems the hardest nut for God to
1: crack is the overly religious person who hides behind the religion in order to avoid meeting God.
2: So don't be Jonah. Don't use your
1: religion as a means to avoid God. And what's amazing is God doesn't abandon Jonah. Even as I use him in all the negative ways here, God still chases after Jonah, it's remarkable. He keeps coming for Jonah, even to the bottom of the sea, even to the grave. And yet at the same time, there's only one person in our story who's not changed by their
2: encounter with God. And it's Jonah. So that's my final word on Jonah 1. Come honestly before God and all of who you are and let God save your soul. To
0: find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.